Chapter Eleven of The Old Ladies by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven. Mrs. Amherst shows courage. It was, of course, Mrs. Bloxham who, in the morning, first learned of poor Miss Berenger's death. She came tumbling into Mrs. Amherst's room. Oh, Mum, poor Miss Bellringer! It's happened just as I thought, lying as though she just dropped off in her sleep, poor warm and nobody by her. A peaceful death, that certain poor dear lady. Mrs. Amherst, wakened from sleep, was at first unaware of the facts behind Mrs. Bloxham's cries. Then she put on her red flannel dressing gown and hastened with Mrs. Bloxham into the other room closed her eyes mamma they were staring open poor lamb she wasn't happy and she was a lonely soul i dare say it's best for her that she's gone mrs bloxham then standing there in her shabby black hat shed tears miss beringer had after all two true mourners i wish now said mrs amherst looking down at the poor tired worn face that i had stayed here last night i think that she wished me to when I'd gone to my room, I nearly came back. There was something in her eyes that seemed to ask me. At least it was a peaceful way to die, in her sleep, without pain. Then she saw the dog crouching at the foot of the bed. Oh, Pip, poor Pip, what will he do now without his mistress? She went up and stroked him. He shivered beneath her hand, looked at her with miserable eyes, but did not move. Mrs. Amrus looked about the room there is that piece of amber on the mantelpiece that she was so fond of she had it in her hand when i left her she must have got out of bed to put it up there they stood together in silence at last mrs amherst said we must lock the door and send for a doctor there might have to be an inquest mrs bloxham looked frightened oh lor mum and me give evidence oh it might be when there's a sudden death like this do you know a good doctor near here yes mum dr blewett a very nice gentleman you'd better get him at once mrs bloxham yes mum i will they locked miss beringer in tip refused to leave the room and he was locked in also back in her own place mrs amorous hurriedly dressed and as she dressed she blamed herself she had been hard on poor may beringer had she shown her more sympathy she would have made her happier her scorn for weakness and sentimentality in others was her fault, her grievous fault, and all her life it had been so. She could look back over the many years and see occasion after occasion when she had been hard and stern. So she thought. She had been selfish, too, filled with alarm about her own little unimportant affairs when this poor woman had been lonely and longing for affection but when she was dressed and stood looking from her window at the grey roofs the creamy sky flecked with shreds of blue there stole upon her in spite of herself a strong apprehension she was alone now in this house with old agatha payne so sharp was this realization that she had the impulse to pack her bag instantly and go somewhere else but where she would find nowhere else so cheap, and in a boarding-house or lodging-house her liberty and freedom would be threatened, her privacy spied upon, her poverty laughed at. With this came realization number two, that at this moment she had not a friend in all the world, and that were she to drop down dead, as May Beringer had done, with the exception of Mrs. Bloxham's ready tear, not a sigh would be breathed, nor a heart show pity. 
the sight of may beringer's pinched white face stranded there like a derelict boat on that desolate shore the picture of that room with its shabby furniture the gray ashes of the fire the chill of the air these things drove at her very heart she would need her pluck to-day must stiffen her back hold up her head as she had never done in all her life before the doctor arrived and after five minutes in may beringer's room he paid a visit on mrs amorous he was a little round fat man pale and bald like a billiard ball neat in a grey suit a little pompous but kindly excuse me madam but your name is mrs amorous i think and you are a tenant in this same building mrs amorous said that she was and asked him to sit down he seemed to like the gentle little lady was surprised perhaps to find such a lady in such a place you were a friend i think of the lady who was just died mrs amorous said that she was not a close friend miss beringer had only recently taken the room quite so quite and i understand that she was in bed all yesterday you were with her in the evening i was said mrs amorous did she complain of anything yes of her back and of her heart she had complained of these to me before oh yes quite so had she any trouble of anything to disturb her in any way mrs amorous hesitated she was a very nervous woman easily frightened she was worried about her money affairs i think and her health exactly thank you very much that's what i supposed he got up and made a stiff ceremonial bow but he smiled and looked kindly will there have to be an inquest mrs amorous asked well there may be dr blewett answered it seems a clear case of heart failure she had been seriously ill for a long time the slightest worry would be bad for her she might have dropped down dead any moment in the last ten years i should say had she any relations or friends who ought to be told really i don't think there was any one mrs amorous said she had a strange feeling that she would like to keep this little billiard ball of a man for a while in her room he was so friendly it might be only his professional attitude of course but she thought not she thought that if they pulled their chairs up in front of the fire and had a chat they would become good friends strange how long it was since she'd had any one to pull up a chair with no one at all i don't think so she had one great friend but she has not heard from her for many years poor woman a lonely life dr blewett gave a little sigh that was as though he were blowing very faintly on a penny whistle no one ever came and saw her i think nobody dear me how lonely she must have been he looked at mrs amorous then as though he were about to say something more personal but he checked himself anyone else live up at the top here yes there's a mrs payne a widow was she a friend of miss beringer's not really they met once or twice i think well i may have to disturb her i don't know i may not have to bother you again good morning mrs amorous longed to say oh do bother me again come and see me i'll give you tea you don't know what a kindness you'd be doing but of course she said nothing of the kind he bowed beautifully at the door and rolled away down the stairs when he was gone the silence of the house was insupportable she did not know what terrors and dismays might not surround her she would go and buy poor may beringer some flowers as she left the house she fancied that its forbidding dark windows leered after her she was not given to dreams and symbols but she had come to hate the place and felt that it also hated her 
when she arrived in the busy part of the town it was gay enough the sun was shining and the high street bustling with people there was canon bentnick major talking on the very edge of the curb to that pretty girl joan daughter of archdeacon brandon mrs amherst adored to see pretty young things with plenty of health about them what she always said was that she could not understand why the old lady in the shoe should be bothered she only wished that she'd had her chance then there was canon ryle the precentor smiling and polite to whomsoever mrs amherst would have liked a smile from him she admired so greatly the way that he sang the services in the cathedral but of course he did not know her so of course he could not smile then there was mrs combermere with her dogs and walking-stick and mauve hat with the bright red feather now she was greeting the precentor and it seemed for a moment that they changed sexes so masculine and downright was mrs combermere so smiling and attentive was canon ryle and then by this time mrs amherst was almost at the bottom of the high street who should turn up the hill from the river but the great archdeacon brandon himself oh but mrs amherst did admire him some said that he was vain and imperious but mrs amherst did not think so she felt that when you were as large and as handsome and as commanding as that you had a right to be a little vain he moved with such vitality such energy as though he knew just what he intended to do at every step and no one should stop him she admired him most as he passed from his stall to the lectern to read the lesson how beautiful then he was with his head up his shoulders back like a general leading his forces into battle mrs amherst was not sentimental about men she knew their faults as well as another but about archdeacon brandon she permitted herself some indulgence she liked a man to be a man and whatever else archdeacon brandon might be no one could deny him his masculinity she had thought that she would buy the flowers from the gnarled old woman in the market thither she went but she had not realized that it was market day the square was filled with pigs and sheep and dogs and cows stout farmers were standing importantly in groups the booths were all set out with their wares women were crying their goods boys shouting horses neighing she had not been for many a day in such a regardless multitude and she stood bewildered with people pushing her on every side the sun dazzling her eyes all the world was so gay and there behind her was that silent house with may Beringer lying dead in it and half-crazy old agatha payne mumbling over her fire she had a queer impulse to cry like a little girl lost and terrified she felt again what she had been feeling so often of late but now with overwhelming force that nobody wanted her no one in the high street had smiled at or recognized her and now they were jostling and disregarding her as though she were not alive at all what would happen to her if her few investments descended even lower than they had already gone she simply would not be able to live at all she would starve slowly up there in that horrible house and nobody would know and nobody would care what happened to old ladies when they had no money and no friends no one cared about old ladies they cared about old women of the other class there were homes for them and clubs for them and societies and people came and visited them and brought them food and warm clothing the almshouses nowadays were comfortable and friendly and all the old women gossiped over the fire but old ladies were not supposed to go into almshouses 
it was not thought that they needed them and old ladies were forced to maintain certain appearances they were expected to look like ladies to wear nice clothes and if they did not people laughed at them and thought them odd the very last thing that mrs amherst wanted was pity or charity but she did want friends and someone anyone to care whether she lived or died if mr bloxham deceased and mrs bloxham in the course of time grew old there would be no appearances for her to keep up and people would visit her and her own cronies would come and sit by her fire and gossip she thought desolately standing there of brand but that letter from him had been posted a year ago for the first time in her history she admitted to herself that he might be dead it was probable indeed that he was why did no one ever think of ladies who were poor and lonely and ill everyone else in the world was thought of from the natives in the centre of africa to the slum children in sea-town it was true as agatha payne had said that old people were tiresome and in the way it was men like archdeacon brandon and pretty girls like his daughter joan whom the world wanted this was bad for lucy amorous unlike her in every way she bit her lips to keep the tears back and then when a stout farmer knocked past her anger took the place of tears how rude they were she refused to be ill-treated by any of them she was not dead yet although they might think so she found her way to the old flower-woman and spent the last penny in her pocket on a large bunch of daffodils they cheered her a little they were bright and gay and cheerful and most certainly no respecter of persons to them the rich and the poor the young and the old were all alike she despised herself as she went up the high street again for her mood of pusillanimity and cowardice and as was her way spoke to herself inside herself now lucy amorous you're every bit as good as anybody here if they look down on you you look down on them the game isn't over yet and there's a good time coming the daffodils promised her at least that spring was coming and she was always happy in the spring as she looked at the blue sky and felt the breeze on her cheek she felt for a moment that she was back again on her beloved northern hills climbing cat-bells to return and see derwentwater like a silver platter at her feet looking down upon thoroughmere from helvellyn seeing the wind blow the reeds like music on rydal nevertheless she must positively beat herself back to pontaby square it was as though something was warning her never had she found it so hard to cross the cobbles of the square and pass on up that cold deserted pavement no life in any house the windows dead and deserted silence absolute she climbed the stairs hating her cowardice went to her room and took off her hat then with the daffodils in her hand crossed to may beringer's door she unlocked it the room was cold and bleak she knelt down beside the bed and tried to pray but to her horror no prayer would come the house the stairs the walls the grey-faced windows seemed to push in between her and her prayer she could not realize god at all she could not think of may save as motionless there passing to corruption with her closed eyes and yellow face she could think of no prayer at all she began our father and could not remember the words she opened her eyes and stared about the room. 
she thought that may beringer's left eye opened and winked at her and solemnly closed again the daffodils that she had laid on the bed looked already faded and dead there was around her nothing but death and decay she got on her feet and stared about her feeling that in another moment she would surrender to some horrible blasphemy or impiety dear jesus christ she said aloud do not leave me something moved and she gave a little cry it was the dog he came to her crouched against her dress and looked beseechingly up at her the relief at his company was so great that she knelt down there on the floor took him into her arms and pressed his head against her breast he did not move except that faintly he licked her hand he seemed very feeble and now when she moved towards the door carrying him he did not protest with a sigh of relief she was back in her room the late morning sun was pouring in shining on the rose-coloured furniture the silver matchbox brand's photograph she looked about her with pleasure the air was different here shabby old room as it was it was her own place filled with her own personality it knew her it had witnessed her hopes and fears and disappointments it recognized that she had tried to brighten it and give it colour and life it was grateful she poked up the fire put a cushion in front of it and laid pip there then she poured half the milk out of the bottle into a deep saucer crumbled up biscuit into it and tried to persuade him to eat but he would not touch it little convulsive shudderings passed over his body once and again he raised his head and stared at the door in acute apprehension mrs amherst had the strange fancy as she looked at him that he was oddly like his departed mistress the look in his eyes was the same she had seen just that half hypnotized stare of alarm in may beringer's eyes he would not touch the biscuit and milk feebly wagged his tail as though he appreciated her kindness licked her hand again but would touch nothing yet he had not eaten anything since the preceding evening and must be very hungry she took her george herbert and sat down near the fire and tried to be caught into the poems that she so dearly loved but just as before she could not pray so now she could not attend to the poetry she continued to look at the door and when the dog raised his head and gazed in terrified fashion at the door she also was compelled to look the conviction slowly came to her that the dog had been witness of something dreadful he was frightened in reminiscence as well as in anticipation he had the look in his eyes that she had seen once or twice with human beings once in the face of a little child who was terrified of her mother once in a woman who had a drunken husband what had happened last night had may beringer woken before she died and realized that death was upon her had she tried to call for assistance why had she placed the amber piece on the mantelpiece had her heart attack come upon her while she was out of bed no she'd been lying peacefully there there was no sign of any physical distress but how lucy wished now that she'd stayed there all night she knew she saw it all now so clearly that may beringer had longed for her to stay had not had courage to ask her had she felt a little more sympathy shown a little more understanding she would have offered to remain and may beringer would not perhaps have died 
she blamed herself bitterly and vowed that for whatever years of life might remain to her she would never be scornful of others weaknesses nor hard in her judgments there was something very humiliating to her in the thought that after all these years she had not learnt human charity she heard the cathedral clock dimly strike one and to change her thoughts she prepared her frugal meal she sat at the table drinking her tea and eating her bread and cheese she took from the bookshelf an old faded volume of the cornhill it was one that contained anthony trollope's small house at Aylington, with the millet's pictures and as she turned the pages she felt comfortable the old illustrations with the quaint dresses the leisurely happy life of lily dale who knew only the stress of choosing between two lovers the slow long afternoons the quiet evenings brought back her own youth happy days multitudes of friends eager anticipation of glorious life all that past seems in retrospect so safe and secure that one wonders why one did not realize its blessings more fully she fell asleep in her chair with the volume on her knees she woke with a start to find the sun low sinking behind the chimney-pots and agatha payne in the room agatha she cried starting up the volume dropping to the floor i never heard you come in agatha payne said nothing she stood looking out of the window what is it do you want anything she slowly turned round why didn't you tell me that may beringer was dead she asked lucy amorist answered why should i have bothered you there was nothing more to be done we had the doctor she died quietly in her sleep i knew said agatha coming up to the fire there was no need to tell me you knew yes she came and told me herself mrs amorous said uh, what do you mean she told you she came this morning and told me she's never going to leave me again she's given me the amber though she says she doesn't want it any more terror seized mrs amorist she felt nothing save an urgent passionate desire to escape she had had enough she could endure no more oh don't tell me she cried you don't know what you're saying she's dead she's gone she hasn't gone agatha replied slowly and quietly she's here in this house i killed her body but i haven't got rid of her she is never going to leave me any more she says so you killed her mrs amherst's voice was a low whisper of horror yes i went in last evening and killed her i didn't mean to but i frightened her and she died however it doesn't matter now except that i don't want to be left alone with her she might do me some harm mrs amorous rose from her chair and faced her stop that i won't have it you don't know what you're saying you're mad you don't know what you're saying i know very well what i'm saying it's true she came to me this morning as i was sitting in my chair she stood as close to me as i'm standing to you she said that i could have the amber and that she would never leave me but i won't be alone with her i won't there's her dog he knows what i did mrs amorous said you're ill agatha you must get out of this house and i must too you don't know what you're saying go and lie down in your room you'll sleep and when you wake these fancies will have gone agatha moved back to the window you're a fool lucy you always were it's true what i'm telling you and what the good am i leaving this house she'll come with me i tell you if i died she'll be with me just the same but she won't come while you're here you can keep her away well i've tried you i'll go now but i'll come back she moved slowly with her old lurching movement out of the room is it madness is it delusion where does this thing begin and end 
the transition is so slight and when you are weary hungry old lonely you are fitting prey for any wandering spirit agatha payne may beringer's death these things were real real too the isolation and the fear lucy amherst had never before in all her life known what fear truly was she knew it now she knew it so that it held her where she was she stood where agatha payne had left her as though a spell had been woven about her her head was up she was listening a tap was dripping in the hall one two three four and then a number together she had not known that there was a tap in the hall but now it was the only voice in all that listening waiting world agatha payne was mad crazy off her head was she imagining that she had gone into may beringer's room or had she in reality been there had some horrible scene occurred poor may beringer oh poor may beringer but if the woman had been there she had not taken the amber perhaps it was she who had placed it on the mantelpiece she had been afraid it might be that she would be accused of theft or violence had she been sane enough to fear that lucy amorous knees were trembling she sat down upon the bed leaning forward her hands clasped holding herself together must she spend another night alone in that place with that woman but where to go to a hotel to mrs bloxham she shrank from that there was cowardice in it and especially it seemed to her in some odd way that she would be deserting may beringer all alone there in that chill room moreover she felt that she had no strength the room was so dark now and the fire so low that she could see nothing but it needed an immense determination to move to the table and light the candles when she had lit them they seemed to illuminate the room only in patches by the door there it was quite dark it appeared to her now that it must be another woman who must dare to move to the fire place coal on it draw her chair to it find a book that was what she should do but she was paralyzed standing in the circle of candlelight listening and counting mechanically to herself the drippings of the tap in the hall poor may beringer had she also heard that tap lying there in bed and counting lucy had despised may's fears but now she herself had fears as terrible she had forgotten the dog he stirred he raised his head then let it fall that released her from her spell she went forward and knelt down beside the cushion she put her arms around him she heard him sigh a ghost of a little sigh he shivered then lay still she knelt for some time with him thus in her arms then some suspicion flew to her brain she stroked his head felt his heart there was no beat there he was dead she laid him down and drew desperately to her feet he had died of terror she knew it as clearly as though in his distress he had whispered it to her before his going panic came then crowding in upon her she could not she must not stay in this house another moment she moved stumbling across the room found a small handbag in the corner by the chest of drawers began to pull out handkerchiefs anything that her hands touched and to press them into the bag and at every moment she paused listening panic grew upon her she was afraid to stand in the dark and moved over to the candlelight the sight of the dog lying so limply and desolately there moved her to an agony of distress 
she knelt down by him again stroking him speaking to him doing she knew not what oh pip i can't bear it i'm frightened pip i must get away and i don't know where to go i'm so frightened i'm so frightened i can't think i don't know what i'm to do i'm all alone and agatha's coming back she ran to the door thinking that she would lock it there was no key she remembered as though it had been a hundred years ago that it had not fitted and had been sent to be mended she ran back to the fire again she stood squeezing her hands together saying over and over again i don't know where to go i, I must get away I, I, I don't know where to go the door opened she cried out no no you can't come in you can't come in she saw a great figure that seemed to tower to the ceiling she heard a strange voice the figure moved forward and at that as though at last her endurance had snapped and she could bear no more she put out her hands as though to shield her face and sank to the floor End of chapter eleven